Welcome to the Tattooed Buddha Podcast, everyone. Join the dialogue at www.thetattooedbuddha.com. Today's episode is hosted by TTB founder Dana Gornell and TTB co-owner Michelin Bradley. And they're interviewing poet, translator, and the writer of China Root and several other books, David Hinton. Thanks for being on the show, David. My pleasure. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about how you became a poet? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I write poetry, and, um, but mostly I translate uh, Chinese poetry as a way of making contemporary poetry. Yeah, I started in the Western U.S., uh, and, and their poetry for me was Gary Snyder and Kenneth Rextroth and Robinson Jeffers, and so it it was a place where poetry in Asia, Chinese um, poetry and uh, Chan Buddhism and landscape and primal culture all came together. And then from there, at some point I started, I realized what I could do translating Chinese and making um, contemporary poetry that way. So that's what most of my, my books are. How did you learn Chinese? Uh, easy at Cornell. <laughs> And I lived in uh, Taiwan for a year and a half. I, I understand you've written a few books, uh, and you have a new book that's out. Can you tell us about that book? Uh, the new book is China Root, uh, which I've done um, a lot of a lot of books of Chinese poetry translation, and I've translated what maybe half a dozen uh, books of philosophy. China Root is, uh, and then I've done about a half dozen essays that are sort of about trying to make ancient Chinese insight, Chan Buddhist insight, Taoist insight, contemporary, trying to make it useful in a contemporary sense. And China Root is the last latest of those, and it's trying to go back to the original insights of Chan Buddhism. Chan is the, the original Chinese pronunciation of the ideogram that in Japan is pronounced Zen. So Chan is the original Chinese version of Zen. It then migrated to Japan and eventually to the West, from Japan to the West. So I, in translating, I, when I translate a poet, I sort of inhabit, or a philosopher, I sort of inhabit that person's mind. And those people were all shaped by Chan Buddhism. So eventually I, I began to realize well, eventually that philosophical framework became more and more interesting to me and more central to my work. Um, and eventually I realized that that Chan framework isn't really in American Zen. It somehow got lost in transmission to Japan and then from Japan to the West. China Root is trying to um, describe that original Chan, the, the conceptual framework how it works, how, how, it, how it changes, how it was practiced. So you learned Chinese at Cornell and which came first, the interest in Buddhism or the interest in learning Chinese? Oh no, learning Chinese was, um, the, I, I did that because I wanted to translate Chinese poetry. First I was a poet, then I, was, then I wanted to translate Chinese poetry. Slowly translating Chinese poetry, I got more and more interested in the philosophy that shapes Chinese poetry, because Chinese poetry or painting or calligraphy were considered forms of Chan Buddhist practice or teaching. There's no distinction between art culture, intellectual culture, and, and Chan. 
And they're the same thing in ancient China. It's not like China is this religion that sits out to the side. So eventually that philosophical interest became stronger and stronger. And then that finally eventually led me, after translating the, the, the five original seminal masterworks of Chinese philosophy, eventually led me to start working on Chan directly. And then you mentioned the the loss of conceptual framework in the U.S. between Sean or Zen, as we kind of more commonly call it here. What do you attribute the loss of that conceptual framework in the U.S.? To what do you attribute that loss? Um, I don't know. That would be a big scholarly project, I think. But somehow, because Chan originated in China, it's a completely uh, native Chinese formant. It's Taoism. This is part of what the book is arguing or trying to describe that in the West, we tend to think, well, Buddhism started in India, went to China. It was changed a little bit, became Chan. Then it went to Japan, where it became Zen and changed a little more. And then eventually, uh, actually like a millennium later, it came to the, uh, to the US. Um, so from the US, we really see Zen through the lens of Japan or as a kind of Japanese phenomenon. But really what happened was India, the Indian Buddhism came to China. And what really happened is that Taoism, the native Chinese philosophical system or spiritual system was modified by Buddhism and that became Chan. And in fact, Chan is, is, is anti-Buddhist if you go back and start reading the ancient Chan people. So, so then, it, so then, eventually, around in the 800s, 800s, Japan sent a whole bunch of scholars to China, and those with the intent of simply picking up Chinese culture and bringing it to Japan to become Japanese culture, because they kind of realized they didn't really have uh, a developed culture, and China was this grand classical culture. So they did that, they brought back the language itself, which became the Japanese intellectual language. They brought back poetry, painting, calligraphy, um, philosophy, and Chan. So then Chan evolved there. How, what, what happened, I can't say, that would be, a, as I said, a big scholarly project, but then it evolved there and somehow lost track of a lot of these sort of core really earthy, dynamic dimensions. Uh, and then that's what migrated to America and then it changed even more. So tracking really what happened. But you know, one, the, the general transformation is a kind of minimalist reduction. That is, if you think about Chinese poetry, went to Japan and it becomes this really pared down, pristine haiku. Chinese painting and calligraphy also get sort of pared down and simplified and made more rigorous. Like Chinese tea is very relaxed. Japanese tea is very ritualistic and, and, and circumscribed. Chinese um, architecture became this, those very clean minimalist lines in traditional Japanese architecture. So you saw that happen all across the culture exactly how it happened in uh, Chan, I, I can't say. John had sent in a question earlier and he said, you know, a huge part of China roots seems to revolve around uncovering 
original Zen. What inspired you to unearth the Zen is it would have been practiced before the Song Dynasty. As I said, in translating uh, so many poets and inhabiting, like living inside their minds, that was an ongoing, enlightening experience. And as I said, at some point I realized, well, this this is the stuff that's always seemed missing to me in Zen, because I've always been interested in Zen, but I've always been seeing it from the American perspective. Slowly I realized, oh, this is the ground, this is the this is the earthiness. Zen always seems cold and abstract, but it's in its original Chan form, it's not. It's uh, it's very earthy. Um, it's all about inhabiting the cosmos as a single generative tissue. Um, so it's very physical, very earthy. That's the big transform. That's what when Buddhism came in from the West, from uh, from India, it was fairly. It's much more abstract and metaphysical than Chinese. There's really no metaphysics in Chinese in ancient Chinese philosophy or culture. So that's part of the big transformation. So I just started realizing this is kind of amazing. There's all this amazing stuff and it's not in English. So that's that's so I started um, delving into it, translated the the most important koan collection because it's full of all of, the, of, the, of this conceptual framework. Um, and then moved on to do China Root, to do all the ideas. And now I'm doing a kind of anthology that traces this, the evolution of these ideas of this conceptual framework from the I Ching, the earliest Chinese text, through the early Taoist text, Tao Te Ching and Zhuangzi, and then through all the, trans, the transitions into Chan, all which happens before Bodhidharma. <laughs> Bodhidharma is the legendary beginning of Chan, which is like in the 500s sometimes. Supposedly he came from India and with, with Chan intact in his head and sort of brought it to China, but it's not, it, it actually just evolved in China. He's a, he's a kind of a legend. Fantastic. What are some of the benefits of someone practicing in the original style, you know, with that earthiness connection? Yeah, well, it's um, it's all very physical, uh, not, it's not abstract and metaphysical and otherworldly. So that's a big advantage for me, from my point of view. I don't know. I mean, if uh, one answer is there's no advantage. You don't get anything from it. Uh, it's, that's a very Buddhist thing to say. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, one of the tricks is it's Buddha. Chan doesn't try to get you anywhere really doesn't try to transform you, doesn't try to answer questions. Um, in fact, it's mostly, uh, the original Chan is mostly about dismantling ideas and certainties until you clean them out of your head. They call it, some, I forget who someone called it, clearing away shit piles. Yeah, yeah, I can identify with that. Um, can you ex um, explain the, the Chan uh, Taoist view on self in the cosmos? Oh uh, yeah, as I said, the, for Taoism, the cosmos is uh, um, a single generative tissue um, that's in constant transformation, and that they call that the Tao. 
Dao is often thought of in the West, everybody knows that word, but they think of it as some kind of myth, mystical or metaphysical thing, but um, it's not at all. It's, it's quite simply the, the cosmos seen as a single generative tissue, which is um, completely uh, consistent with modern scientific understanding. I mean, or, or just common sense empirical observation. Yeah, if you forget all of your ideas and just look at the world around you, one of the first things you notice is, well, things are changing. Everything is constantly changing. So that's their sort of concept of the, the cosmos. And they thought the self was just a completely integral part of that. That is, thoughts and memories and emotions, if you watch them in your head, they're doing the same thing that weather and mountain ranges are doing out in the, the empirical, in the objective world. That is, they're constantly emerging out of nowhere, going through transformations and vanishing. So they didn't see any fundamental distinction between subjective and objective or self and um, empirical reality. Um, and that's a pretty big transformation from the way we experience ourselves in the West and pretty hard really to get your head into. So meditation is not so much for early Chan. It's not so much about tranquility. It's not trying to find peace and tranquility and empty silent mind so much as integrating consciousness with that ongoing transformation of the cosmos. And, and they find tranquility in that whole, the whole grand transformation altogether is this grand movement that is tranquil um, and slow and um, effortless and spontaneous. So in the end, that's what Chan aspires to, is to live with that tranquil effortlessness but not to live in the traditional sort of Buddhist way of thinking, the Buddhism that arrived into China from India, and also the, the, a kind of broader view of Buddhism now. That is that the, the world is illusory, that it's suffering and um, practices trying to transcend that. There's no, Chinese weren't interested in transcendence. They didn't want to get out of this world. They wanted to go deeper and deeper into it. I love that word, or those two words, tranquil effortlessness. I, I just feel like I need to write that down yeah. on a sticky note and put it like on every wall in my house. Because <laughs> I love that word. That's, that's great. Um, oh, yeah. That's a lot, uh, that whole concept. Uh, um, I don't, you know know a lot about Chan Buddhism. Um, I wish Daniel were here because he that's like his thing. Uh, that's uh, another guy that uh, participates in Tattoo Buddha. Um, but the way you're explaining it, it's just really fascinating. It's, um, I like the, you know, how it aligns with like scientific thought and that's that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I love, the, I love it that it's, it is very contemporary because one, it's deep feminine, deeply feminist because it sees the cosmos as female and the early Taoists used terms like the great mother and female dark enigma and 
they had explicitly described it that way. And I think that's, um, those texts were partially oral texts. And I think those go back into the Paleolithic when the female was much more a center of human, uh, say, spirituality, maybe. Um, it's, it's deep ecological because it's all about integrating consciousness with landscape and cosmos and the earth. And yeah, it's completely consistent with scientific understanding. There's nothing, there's nothing like religious, quote unquote, or metaphysical about it. So you mentioned that you're, um, you mentioned that you're working on an anthology now. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about that? Yeah. So as I said, the um, Sean is really not a form of Buddhism. It's it's a form of Taoism which is the original, the original spiritual philosophy of China. It's Taoism that was modified somewhat by the incoming Buddhism, the, the, the Buddhism that migrated into China. Um, it's interesting because I'm all, I do a lot of translation. And one of the big ways that that um, happened was that these, these Buddhist ideas were translated into Chinese, but they were mistranslated essentially as Taoist concepts. So that's part of how Chan uh, arose is through mistranslation, what we would now call bad translation. So bad translation can actually be productive. Um, it's how cultures grow. And so, but you can follow these texts, the early Taoist texts, the Yijing, the Tao Te Ching, the Zhuangzi, and then the next stage is, uh, that's all way back, 300 BC, 600 BC, the Yijing is 1200 BC, or, and, and the Yijing and the Tao Te Ching are both a lot of, uh, have a lot of oral tradition stuff that goes way back. And then uh, you know, three or 400 current era, um, there's a kind of neo-Taoist movement that goes after ontology and cosmology, the stuff I'm talking about. And then that, then, then that fuses with incoming Buddhism and there are Buddhist scholars who are essentially these neo-Taoists. And so they start incorporating Taoist ideas into Buddhist ideas and then pretty quickly, it, and then that's really the beginning of Chan. And then uh, Chan sort of develops. The thing that, Buddha, that um, Buddhism really brought in as a, kind of, as a sort of formal, the idea of a formal uh, meditation practice and maybe an institutional framework. But pretty quickly you find Chan people wanting to kill the Buddha and dismantle and just attacking the Buddha, traditional Buddhist ideas. It's meditation isn't about tranquility. Um, kill the Buddha, kill the patriarchs. It's all about dismantling everything until there's just nothing left but empty consciousness. And, um, but that's all. So that's, I mean, it's a big story. It takes the whole book to really lay it out. So the whole China root book, it's hard to like um, to distill it down into like a few pithy sentences. But also the anthology continues on and does a bunch of the basic Buddhist texts to show how those ideas and those basic um, concepts that you see clear back in the Tao Te Ching keep operating as the central concepts even into high, completely mature Chan texts, the texts that then migrated. Uh, to Japan. And then 
and then to America, and then just to keep going about a big part of China route is showing how those, all those Chan, central Chan texts, when they were translated into English, they missed all these central concepts because the translators didn't know they were there. So they mistranslated all of these central terms. And as a result, if you, in English, if you read translations, you just, and a lot of these translations are done by Zen teachers. You don't see any of these, any of the central concepts um, appearing. I mean, I, and there's a whole list of these concepts that I don't, it's not worth going into, but that's, that's there in the book. It's an, it's an appendix that sort of goes through how this all works. So is China Root available now for purchase? Yeah. Oh, great. Oh. Yeah, about a month ago, I think. Okay. Okay, I wasn't sure, because sometimes we get them ahead of time. I wasn't sure it was available. And that's your Shambhala publications. So um, we're, we're running out of time here. Is there anything else you wanted to add, David? We're so appreciative that you're here. No, thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Um, I'm sorry John couldn't have been here, but um, hopefully he'll have an article to go along with it soon. Um, okay. All about okay. the book. And, um, again, we appreciate you being here and definitely check this out. Um, it sounds like an amazing book and a lot of really good information. And I, I want to check out your poetry because that's very interesting to me. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you.